Welcome back to Current History, where today we're going to talk about Russian mercenaries and how they serve as an example for a new age of international conflict. In my first podcast, I mentioned that the Russian private military company the Wagner Group has been sent to Venezuela to help the Maduro government maintain power against either protesters or an attack by the United States. The Wagner Group is a private military company, which, meet, which can mean anything from doing soldiers' laundry in a combat zone to mercenaries. But in this case, the Wagner Group is more on the shoot-people-and-hold-territory end of the PMC spectrum. The Wagner Group operates as a private arm of the Russian government, even though PMCs are technically against the law in Russia. Putin isn't exactly bent out of shape ab- about this, and has given the leaders of the Wagner Group, like Evgeny Priz- Priz- Prig- Prig- Prigozhin, oh Russia, medals for bravery and service to the Russian state. The Wagner Group has been called an army of ghost soldiers, or Putin's personal army. They have been deployed in hot zones with Russian interests at stake across the globe, and have been involved in conflicts with terrorists, protesting civilians, and the United States military. They're part of the GRU, the same department that organized the attacks on the United States elections through hacking and social media campaigns. So what is this shadowy organization, and how are they connected to Russia's new approach to foreign policy? Well, before I tell you that, first, I'm going to read an ad at you. Because you're my captive audience. Ha. Huh. So why would Russia, or any country for that matter, choose to use a private military company, or PMC, rather than their state military? Well, to answer that question, let's talk a little bit about the Vietnam War. The powers that be learned significant lessons from the Vietnam War, and the lessons they took away was certainly not that the U.S. should not get involved in brutal foreign wars. What they took away from the conflict was that war exhaustion will grow with any soldier casualties, and allowing reporters an unedited view of a war zone drives home the horrible situation we put our soldiers in when we send them abroad to find foreign monsters to slay. So what is a modern-day imperialist to do? How do you seize and defend regional resources in foreign countries without your people rioting in the streets over casualties? Well, as any Republican will squawk faster than the seagulls in Nemo, privatization! You take the same soldiers, still trained in Russian military training facilities and still funded by the Russian government, as well as a few oligarch private investors, but now they aren't state military, they're a private organization. As a country, you get plausible deniability if their operations go tits up, and the organization gets significant freedom in how they achieve their objectives. Imagine if rather than the CIA orchestrating the Bay of Pigs invasion, JFK had had PMCs at his disposal. Rather than an international incident embarrassing the United States, he could have denied any involvement without any concern over the casualties. The Wagner Group's origins can be traced back to early 2014, when they showed up in the conflict in Ukraine between the country and Russian-backed separatists in the Crimea region. While there, the mercenaries were involved in a series of battles against the Ukrainian government. If Russia's annexation of Crimea had been a naked Russian invasion of Ukraine, it might have been appropriate for Western countries to send their state military, causing the conflict to spiral out of scope and risk an all-out war. 
by using a privatized arm of the military, they can claim plausible deniability while still committing expert military assistance to a hotspot. The funniest thing about this is that their involvement in Ukraine is being tracked by civilians through social media posts by these dweeby-looking soldier selfies that they're posting on Russian Facebook, with evidence of Wagner Group involvement in the background. In one particular article, there are a series of pictures of stupid teenage Russian boys palling around with their buddies with pictures of Russian tanks on trucks with the identifying markers painted over. I'm going to use it as the picture for this podcast because it's hilarious. So after their involvement in the Crimean conflict, the Wagner Group became involved in the Syrian civil war. The Putin regime supports Assad, the leader of the Syrian state whose violent crackdown on his people ignited the civil war in the first place. Russia is interested in getting rid of ISIS and putting Assad back in power, and the Wagner Group was a component of those goals. This involved a hallmark of PMCs, their focus on the capture and defense of natural resource extraction. Within Syria, one of their tasks was the capture and defense of oil-producing areas for the Assad government, on the condition that they would receive a portion of the proceeds from the areas that they took and held. It's in the Syrian civil war that the Wagner Group got into a fight with an outpost of American soldiers, backing op- opposing forces to the Syrian government supported by Russia. The 30 American soldiers were working alongside contractors and Kurdish forces when they saw the Russian soldiers of the Wagner Group ominously approaching with armored vehicles. The Americans were defending the Konoko gas plant near the city of Deir al-Zur. Seeing the Russian armor in the area, the Americans got in contact with Russia through a line set up specifically for de-escalation to avoid the two groups getting into accidental fights. The Russians responded that they didn't have any troops in the area that they were in communication with, and that they didn't know what the Americans were talking about. When the Russian soldiers began attacking the American outpost with artillery, there was chaos. The Americans spent 15 minutes trying to contact the Russian military command to get them to stop the attack, but the Russians denied any knowledge. The Americans responded with warning shots from a howitzer, but the Russian soldiers were not deterred. Unfortunately for the Russians, they were in a fight with the United States now. We may have barely half a plan in the counterinsurgency wars we get in, but what we do have is a metric fuckload of planes. The first wave of the cavalry arrived at the besieged outpost, and oh how the turntables. You can imagine the excitement of the flyboys when they were told that instead of flying missions to take pictures of desert huts, they would finally get to use their weapons against an actual dead-ass armor column. The first plane screamed overhead and dropped a bucket of Big Bada Boom. We're talking about three hours of bombardment by stealth fighters, heavy bombers, and attack helicopters. The soldiers in the outpost fired back with their weapons and with remote-controlled guns on top of their vehicles, allowing control from safely inside. When the dust finally cleared, none of the American soldiers were hurt, and one Syrian auxiliary was wounded. Meanwhile, on the Russian side, they gathered what bodies they could and ollied the fuck out. It's reported that somewhere between 100 to 200 Russian mercenaries or local auxiliaries were killed in the attack. Now, the oligarch that runs and funds the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, has very close ties with Putin, to the point where it would be absurd to think that the Russian government had no control or information on the group's operations. 
It's believed that the Wagner Group operates under the authority of the GRU, the very same organization that orchestrated the Russian interference in our elections that is laid out in the Mueller report. For more on the GRU's connections with election interference, listen to my first podcast on the Mueller report. Prigozhin is personally targeted with sanctions by the United States for his involvement in the election attack. Now, the Russian government is still going with the new phone who dis defense, saying they did not participate in the battle and had nothing to do with that little boondoggle. General Mattis gave a perplexed response to the attack, saying, quote, I have no idea why they would attack there. The forces were known to be there. Obviously, the Russians knew. We have always known that there are elements in this very complex battle space that the Russians did not have, I would call it, control of, end quote. However, according to a source by the Washington Post, unnamed U.S. intelligence sources quoted by the Post say Mr. Prigozhin was in close contact with the Kremlin before and during the attack on the American base. It seems unlikely that the Russian government wasn't perfectly aware of what its mercenaries were up to. This direct assault isn't the only thing the Russians are up to. The Americans operating in Syria have described the electronic warfare attacks they faced following the attack, including attempts to jam communications and control of Predator drones. The head of the Special Operations Command, Tony Thomas, described the conflict in Syria as one of the most aggressive electronic warfare environments on the planet from our enemies. This is all part of Russia's new strategy of hybrid warfare, combining digital attacks with other non-standard attack methods like mercenary groups and election interference. Another area that the Wagner Group has been involved in is North and Central Africa. The Wagner Group has been a part of Russia's increased involvement in the Central African Republic, which Russia got an exemption from the UN to sell weapons to despite an arms embargo. The Wagner Group is far from the only PMC operating in Africa, though, and the United States and Europe have a fairly large PMC presence in the region. The U.S. Army African Command, called AFRICOM, is now headquartered in Germany and works primarily through PMCs to provide basic services in the region. These services are in a wide variety of areas, from intelligence gathering and armed intervention to handling cooking and laundry of soldiers operating in North Africa. The Wagner Group's presence in CAR is part of Russia's attempt to exert power in the region, and so far the Russian mercenaries have not been idle. They have been working as the personal bodyguards of the President of the Central African Republic, as well as providing security for CAR's largest diamond mine for a portion of the proceeds. They've also been active in Sudan, protecting resource extraction of gold, diamond, and uranium. And here's where the really crazy shit happens, because a couple of these current events merge together. The Wagner Group is also involved in Russian operations in Libya, operating out of the Benghazi area. It's been reported that the Wagner Group has been involved in training the soldiers of the Libyan general Khalifa Haftar. The situation in Libya is worth its own podcast, because it's crazy over there right now. The general whose forces the Russians are training, Haftar, is marching his soldiers into the capital of Libya in Tripoli in an attack on the UN-backed government. The Russians have provided assistance to an armed group that has the potential to pull off regime change in Libya, and they have done it on a shoestring budget. General Haftar also has ties to the United States government and was funded by the CIA in a series of attempted revolutions in Libya against Gaddafi. 
For years, he lived in Washington, D.C. and Virginia, in between attempted revolutions in Libya. So it's hard to paint Haftar as a purely Russian or American-influenced figure. But we, what we can say for sure is that he is a military strongman that is trying to take over Libya through a military coup, making him imminently comparable to Gaddafi, who took power through a similar strategy. Honestly, because I found this connection, I'm writing a whole nother podcast on Libya now, so stay tuned on that eventually happening, and also me never getting to a second of any of the multiple series I've started. Anyway, this kind of power in Libya and the CAR serves as an example of what possible positive results Russia is hoping to achieve with this strategy. When you're competing with the United States, it's impossible to outspend on defense. Luckily, they don't have to compete on spending. Through creative, cheap strategies like privatized military forces and electronic attacks, they can wreak far greater havoc for a fraction of the price. Think of the difference between the United States and the irregular forces it fights in conflicts like Afghanistan or Vietnam. One person with an IED is extremely cheap to deploy, but to defeat that, we would need to spend on mine-proof vehicles and demining equipment and personnel. Just like the price discrepancy between an IED and the cost to deal with it, there are huge differences in the cost to the Russian government to pull off electronic attacks or utilize PMCs rather than using actual state military. These attacks can be effective for a fraction of the price. This asymmetrical warfare that Russia is using against us cleverly solves a huge problem of the nuclear age, the concept of mutually assured destruction. If you've ever seen war games, then you've heard of mutually assured destruction, also known as MAD. The idea of MAD is that war between modern-day great powers is deterred by the threat of nuclear annihilation, because any attack was, would result in both sides firing all of their missiles at once, instantly killing both sides. The idea is that because both sides know this, they would never really go to war, because they know that their own destruction is the stakes. This idea has already been proven wrong for a myriad of reasons. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, a Russian ship was ordered to fire on the American ships, but the order was refused aboard the ship for long enough that the order was recalled. Clearly, the sailors were deterred by the fear of death, but they received orders to attack, showing that the deterrence was much less bulletproof than everyone thought. For another example, China and the United States have fought two major wars since the Second World War, the Vietnam War and the Korean War. In Korea, the Chinese directly deployed troops against the UN coalition forces that the US was a part of, and in the Vietnam War, Chinese troops were disguised and loaned to the North Vietnamese government for service in North Vietnam so that more North Vietnamese soldiers could be sent to the front in South Vietnam. These examples show that our understanding that nuclear deterrence will protect us from great power conflict has never really been true. The main problem the great powers have is that they can't directly declare war on each other. They have to disguise what they're doing as something else. But there's one more flaw with nuclear deterrence. Imagine you're a six-year-old, and your sister keeps poking you, and it's really pissing you off. So you say, God damn it, Susie, if you poke me one more time, I am going to punch you in the face. Now, anyone who has ever met a child before knows Susie's reaction. She holds her hand out six inches in front of your face, sticks out one finger, and in a tone so smug it could start its own investment banking firm, she says, Okay, 
I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. My point being, the trouble with nuclear deterrence is that it's a big threat. If you punch someone in the face, Susie is going to get mom and you are 1000% boned. And if you use nuclear weapons first in a situation that doesn't clearly vindicate you, the world community would rightfully blame the person who started it and they would be a pariah state. The threat is a very good defense against being attacked, but it doesn't deter from anything less than a fully committed attack. If your sibling punches you, then the fight is on. But if they do something less than a full attack, it seems disproportionate to respond with full nuclear fury. This is Russia's strategy at the moment, and you can see it at work in both their activity with the Wagner Group and other privatized military branches and in the election interference laid out in the Mueller report. These attacks are not direct, and Russia can deny involvement but still achieve their goals through force. The Wagner Group is one of many ways Russia is trying to use their military intelligence capabilities to improve their position throughout the world. It also displays how current great power competition in the world is being fought, and in a realm of electronic warfare, hacking, and privatized military capabilities to maintain plausible deniability if your operation falls apart Bay of Pigs style. So that's what's going on with Russia and the Wagner Group. The lesson from this is don't be afraid of Russia because of communism or other Cold War nonsense, but we still have to be wary. They aren't, as they aren't as powerful as China or the Soviet Union, but they're more like Iran or Gaddafi in Libya, capable of putting their energy towards trouble. So, if you see Russian mercenaries, tell them, no, go away. We don't like you guys.